Hi, I'm Dr. Don Welch, licensed marriage and family therapist, and welcome to the My Therapist Says podcast, where I moderate discussions between various relationship experts from medical doctors to licensed mental health professionals to enrich relationship skills and communication. This podcast seeks to bring healing and hope to what matters most in our lives, our relationships. If you would like even more content or to speak with a therapist, you can visit us at www.enrichingrelationships.org. Thank you and enjoy. Well, good evening to each and every one of you. Welcome tonight to My Therapist Says. I believe this is our 31st presentation here at Skyline Church. So I welcome you tonight on this very cool evening. It does finally feel like, well, like fall, but it should be winter, right? (laughs) Here in Southern California, I'm Pastor Don Welch, uh, here the counseling pastor at Skyline Church, and we welcome you tonight to uh, this panel. Just want to remind you as we get started tonight that this is being audio taped, and as your friends may need to listen in, that we have the audio tape on our skylinechurch.org website. And you can go right to the Health Connect and then to Counseling, that link, and you'll be able to locate any of the previous 30 presentations. And oftentimes we have PowerPoint with that and handouts uh, for people as they listen to this. And many have listened actually in other states. So we hope that you would take time to invite your friends uh, to listen in and to participate that way. This is a very interactive process. Many of you have been here many times, and we're so glad you're back here again this evening. As you know, this is like having a therapist in your living room. And as I was uh, talking with the therapist just a moment ago as we were praying together, I was reminded of the enormous amount of energy and time and commitment it takes uh, to reach the level that these people have in their skill level and also in how people respect each and every one. Uh, as they come and present here this evening as therapists. So as we meet tonight, you have a three-by-five card. Just want to make sure that you have that. And please, you can ask a question at any time. If you'd like to begin to even write down a question tonight related to achieving balance in marriage, if you would write that down now and you can raise that in the air, one of our uh, ushers will actually, one of the hosts will come and Take that and give that to me as the moderator, and then we'll read that question. Hopefully, we will get to yours and read that and hopefully enter into a a wonderful dialogue this evening. At some point, if you would like to vocalize something, in other words, verbally respond to a panel member or someone in the audience, all you need to do is raise your hand, and we have a number of people that will bring one mic to you, (laughs) even though we have several mics, and that you can respond that way. So glad to see you tonight. I was thinking as we were talking, when the Bible says where two or three are gathered together in his presence that the miraculous happens, somehow we were not able to get this in the bulletin, and I think that possibly could uh, discourage people to be reminded that we were having this tonight. So we're a smaller number tonight, but I was reminded of this when I was a senior pastor, always looking forward to the bigger numbers and more people coming to the Lord and seeing that, that sometimes when there was a small group that oftentimes the miraculous would happen. And then I would go back to the scripture that says, where two or three are gathered together for his purposes, 
that the miraculous happens. Thank you. Someone came right up, <laughs> came right up to the front here to give me more encouragement uh, to know that people are coming in. So, <laughs> so glad to see you again. So if you would take time to write down your questions, if you have a question, and to enter into the dialogue, and we will uh, get started. This ministry is a ministry here that began with uh, Bill Diffley and Mary Beth Diffley and the Marriage Savers, along with uh, our own counseling center here, as well as Family Consultation Services, which is the oldest counseling center in San Diego, which uh, I participate in, as well as as the counseling pastor here. So as we get started, let's have a word of prayer, and then I would like to go ahead and introduce our panel, and we will jump right into the material this evening. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you so much for your presence. We know that we are fully alive when we experience your fully presence, your full presence. And when we experience your full presence, which is your grace, we're able to fully presence someone else. And that may be even our mate. And we pray that that would be the case in the work that we do this evening, that we would be grace receivers so that we can be grace givers, to receive your grace that is full and sufficient and available to us this night. Could there be a breakthrough in someone's life and even a marriage this evening because of your presence? Your presence is always available. It's always full. It's, it's rich and never-ending. Yet oftentimes we, for some reason, perhaps even for a pain from the past, something from the past gets triggered and we somehow hide our heart from you, not intending to, but we defend ourselves somehow in relationship or with you and then we're unable to receive that grace. Your grace is always full and always available and yet somehow we may hinder being able to receive it. And it could be a pain from the past, something in our life. could be anger. It could be strife with our mate. could be a number of things. And I pray this night that your presence would be full in our midst and as we discuss a very important topic that we would absolutely sense your presence. We yearn for that this evening, and we thank you for being present. You promised that you always would be and are. So we thank you for that evening, for that this evening, and we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If I can just introduce our panel member here, panel member, excuse me, and that is directly to my left. Many of you know Donna Dennis Macbeth and uh, their family, who have been longtime members here at Skyline. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice at the Counseling Ministries here in La Mesa, not far from us. And if you'd like to meet her at the end, she'll be available in the back of the auditorium here to talk with you about if you're needing some counseling or a friend or a neighbor or family member. She and your hus- or her husband, Alan, have conducted nationwide seminars on blended families and have for many years presented here at Skyline an annual Healthy Family Functioning Conference. Donna, as I mentioned, is a member of Skyline and provides leadership in Skyline's Marriage Savers Ministry, which this ministry began out of and from. And she and her husband have four grown children and a growing family. So we're so glad to have you with us tonight again, Donna. Directly to her left is Dr. Marcel Fallon, and I know you've seen him. He's been with this panel on an ongoing basis for over a year at every panel, and I'm so thankful that he's here tonight. He's the pastor of Family Ministries at Shadow Mountain a Community Church, not far from us, and he's given sterling, from my vantage point, sterling leadership in the ongoing presentations of My Therapist Says. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of California, as well as an ordained minister. In addition, Dr. Fallon helped to create the San Diego Healthy Marriage Coalition, 
which eventually led to the creation of the Center for Enriching Relationships, a ministry for strengthening relationships within the local church. The center is located at Family Consultation Services. I mentioned it just a few minutes ago, San Diego's first and oldest Christian counseling center serving the San Diego County, now with nine offices across the county. So we welcome you, Dr. Flan. Gary Cundiff is directly to his left. Uh, is a dear colleague of mine. Gary is one of our popular My Therapist Says uh, presenters and panel members. He is also a licensed psychotherapist working with individuals, couples, and adolescents. He earned his MA in counseling psychology and the BA in uh, behavioral science, a minor in chemical dependency at National University in San Diego. For 18 years, going on I believe 19, he's been with Family Consultation Services, and he writes on his website the following... Integrating a spiritual, psychological framework is a key component of my therapy. So we welcome you, Gary. You get to see his, uh, his uh, keen sense of humor in just a moment as he presents our 15-minute presentation. Directly to his left is Pam Lachey, who is a longtime member of uh, Skyline Church. She has added tremendously as well to our ministry here with, uh, my, my therapist says, I, I remember also Donna, some of the key players who helped us to really get started with this ministry and have been deeply appreciated their input into our lives by coming and serving with us. Pam is a licensed marriage and family therapist since 2000 and is in private practice at Counseling Ministries in La Mesa. Both Pam and Donna are colleagues at that ministry and work very closely to our church here which is a wonderful benefit to the church. She, um, excuse me, when I look at this, that, uh, and since 1996, rather, she, she has uh, worked at Kaiser, a positive choice wellness center weight management groups, as well as a part-time speech therapist in schools, various schools. Again, she's also a strong member of Skyline Church and provides prayer leadership in Skyline's Ma- Marriage Savers Ministry and also has two grown children. I think you got to see them just recently. So we welcome, would you welcome our panel members this evening? Thanks again. Gary's going to, I think you're going to stay right where you're at, if I'm understanding, and and going to present uh, the topic for this evening, Achieving Balance in Marriage. He told me to stay in my seat. (laughs) I don't know. I think I can do that this evening. (laughs) Pretty, uh, pretty worn out, but I, uh, I asked my wife one time, I said, you know, very directly, I said, so, so why'd you marry me? And she said, well, I didn't know it was going to be you. <laughs> I was hoping for someone more intelligent with more money. <laughs> that's not true. I, she would never say anything like that. But that's kind of, you know, the way we think about it sometimes. It's like when you get married, it's kind of like, whoa, now I get to know this person. You know, we have the wedding and then the, the marriage starts, you know. Yeah, marriage really is the ultimate growing machine. And as long as we all, for myself anyways, as long as I always remember that, that, you know, this is about growing. Bible is really clear about marriage. Bible starts with marriage. It ends with marriage. And so we can see the emphasis that, you know, God truly puts on, you know, marriage itself. I'm looking for the final marriage. I really am looking for for that. So the questions, you know, is really about balance in marriage. How do we achieve that? I think that, you know, intimacy is really what I believe brings balance to a marriage. Intimacy 
is really what creates sexual excitement and you know arousal and all that sort of thing. Without intimacy, you know, what you have is just two people cohabitating, and that can be a really a miserable, you know, kind of situation. So the question that, you know, a lot, a lot of times I'll ask is that, you know, people come in and it's like, you know, what are you really coming in for, you know? Because a lot of, I hear a lot of times is like, well, we want to come in and work on the relationship. Most of the time what that really means is I'm coming in here to work on my spouse as part of the relationship. <laughs> you know, find a way to change him or her so that I can, you know, be more satisfied and, and healthier. When I'm not happy in the marriage, it's usually because I'm not happy with the way I am in the marriage. If I will change the way I am in the marriage, the marriage becomes much more satisfying. And it's just, you know, those are just basic, you know, steps that we have to take. And so another question, you know, is who, who can you really control? You know, can I really control anyone? The truth is about the only thing I have control over that I'm really aware of these days is pretty much my response. And a lot of times I'm not even, you know, in control of that. I stub my toe and it's like, ah, so much for self-control. Um, I'm going to just tell a little story. A gal named Amy, she was getting, going to get married and, and she had a whole lot of um, anxiety about the whole ceremony. So she kept going to the pastor and, and he kept reassuring her that it's going to be okay. All you have to do is remember the or order of things here. And the order is, is that you'll come down the aisle to the altar and then, you know, you'll have a hymn and then, you know, we'll do the ceremony. And so he says, just remember, aisle, altar, him. So she's standing at the back, you know, and she goes up and, she, and she's repeating to herself silently, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. <laughs> and of course, that's the only thing that he heard. I'll alter him. <laughs> and poor guy goes running out the door. You know, it's like, but that is often, you know, kind of the, the trap we fall in is that, that attempt to try to change someone else. So, you know, the marriage is a primary, you know, it, the marriage is an institution. It's a unity that exists between two people. If I had a chalk and one person here and one person there, and I put a circle around each and one in the middle, that circle in the middle would represent the relationship. And so the real question is, is what are you willing to do to improve the relationship? And that's something I have to, you know, and, you know, I keep in mind because there's times that I just simply don't feel like, you know, you know, doing something for her. But if I can translate it, I'm doing this for me, for the relationship. And that's, you know, just a way of sometimes thinking about it. What am I willing to do to improve this relationship today? Because really, marriage is not about feelings. It's about decisions and making certain decisions as we go along. Because if we always just relied on our feelings to try to have a balanced marriage, it's not going to be balanced. Because I don't always feel like having a balanced marriage. I don't always feel like doing certain things. You know, I get my feelings hurt, whatnot, but I can make a decision, you know, to do something different. And one time said, you know, my wife asked me, I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not having sex with you because I love you. You know, I'm, but I love you. Since I do love you, you're the only one that I am having sex with. You know, and that's a decision. It's that simple. 
And so we all have to make those decisions that we go along in marriage. Now, what, is it, you know, what does it take to have intimacy? Real intimacy really means allowing someone to really know you. Mm-hmm. How do you work out your dilemmas? What are the things that trouble you? What are the things that excite you? What are the things that give you joy? Really allowing yourself to be known in those deeper parts. A lot of people never really ever, and it's, the tragedy is, is that so many people never really ever reach that level of intimacy. Mm-hmm. What it really sounds like in kind of a dependent relationship is, I'm going to tell you about myself, but I'm only going to tell you about myself up to the point that I don't sense that you're giving me the validation and the security and the approval that I think I really need to have to go on and share who I am with you. That's not truly intimacy. If you wait until you are in a safe enough place to truly share who you are, it's very often it's just not going to happen. Because sharing who we really are is not something that you know, comes natural for most of us, particularly if we're coming from a background of abuse and hurt and rejection, abandonment, whatever it might be. That is not something that's just going to come about in a very natural way. And so truly achieving intimacy takes a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. True intimacy might sound something like, since we're married, <laughs> and we are married, I'm going to let you know who I am. I'm going to tell you all about who I am, and there's, I know that there's going to be parts of who I am that you are not going to necessarily like, but I'm willing to risk that so that you can know who I am. Since we are going to be together, I think it's probably a good idea. That takes commitment, and it takes a decision to really step into that place. So often, what we really want to do is we really want to change the person that we're with, so that I can get my needs met. And so in a dependent relationship, see, and the thing is, is that in a dependent relationship, it's kind of in that place where it's like, I believe I need your love, your approval, your validation for me to be okay. That puts you in a dependent relationship. When we're in a dependent relationship in that nature, we're not going to interact confidently and freely. We're going to hold back. We're going to hide. We're going to, you know, uh, you know, through omission of really what's going on, we're going to pull back and we're not going to do that because I may lose that love, that's, you know, validation and that security that I believe that I, you know, so, so need at that moment. I know that, you know, a lot of what I have to, you know, I'm saying here is almost, for me, counterintuitive. You know, <laughs> for me, it's, you know, coming from a, you know, more, abusive background. Every step of the way has been, you know, just about counterintuitive for me to do that. But making those decisions that, you know, I I have to sometimes go just from my head and say, even though this seems totally counterintuitive, I'm going to do it anyways. Has anybody ever rock climbed here? I I, I did a lot of rock climbing, not a lot, but some rock climbing. And the tendency to when you're rock climbing, is to pull yourself right in, you know, and you want to get right up, you know, next to this, you know, the rock and, and just hold on. That is absolutely the worst thing you can do. <laughs> to truly rock climb, you really need to push yourself out, first of all, so that you can see the next cliff, you know, that you're going to reach to, where your footing is, and you need to be away from the rock, you know, because if, you know, you're too close, it is just going to scrape you. I mean, it'll tear you apart. 
It's the same thing as what I'm talking about in terms of marriages. It's also very often that counterintuitiveness, the, th the very thing you think is the most risky can be the most productive, you know? And that's one of the things that, you know, I think we all struggle with to some degree. But we try to achieve, you know, some balance in that. Balance also has to do with knowing that your spouse is an independent, different person, separate and different from yourself. And when they're apart from you, they're a separate and different person, you know? You know, there's, you know they interact with people when maybe you're not around. It's going to be different. And it's just accepting those differences. You know, my wife and I are very different in a lot of different ways. I can get real ethereal. <laughs> I can go off in outer space and do philosophy all day long and, you know, all that sort of thing. And she's very different and very concrete. She says, so what does that have to do with this right here? <laughs> I used to, man, that would annoy me that she wouldn't go out there with me and do all this ethereal discussion and all this sort of thing. I got to the place where it's like, well... I'm going to accept that. But now, it's more than just acceptance. It's actually embracing that. Thank God that she's around to keep me on the ground. You know? And that she knows that that's who I am, and I know that that's who she is, and there's no longer a judgment about that. And I really, I thank God for that. The Apostle Paul said, Do all that you can do to stand, and therefore, having done all that you can do to stand, stand. In part, <laughs> I think what he's talking about is becoming an adult. I think it would be, you know, anytime I hear the word all, I usually think, well, that probably means all. And uh, he's saying that pretty clearly. And so it's like intellectually, emotionally, physically, you know, finally, do what you have. Of course, obviously, spiritually, do all that you can do to stand and then stand, you know, so that you can deal with the day when the evil comes and all that. And so it, to have a balanced marriage and an intimate marriage, it takes two adults. One adult to the other. One equal to the other. And often what happens in, you know, what I see in my practice very often is it's not what's occurring in the marriage. What's really occurring in the marriage is there's this crosstalk. And the crosstalk is kind of like one adult to a parent or an adult to a child or a parent to a child. You know, or you know, any combination, and it can flow all over the place around that. So why is that a problem? <laughs> if you're in that kind of a situation where, you know, most of the time what people are arguing about is who gets to have the predominant perception. And so that's the big argument, you know, who's right. And so, you know, whoever's the most powerful can overwhelm the other. The other will take usually that child role. Now, what's the problem with that? First thing that's going to go out the window in that kind of a situation is your sex life. It is just simply, you know, when you have that kind of thing going on, it, it feels wrong. And what feels wrong about it, it feels incestuous. I'm not supposed to be having sex with my child or my parent or, you know, any one of those kind of combinations. It won't work. It has to be one adult to the other. Which then brings us to the point that we all have to be adults and looking at how do I become an adult? What does it mean to be an adult? An adult has the ability to soothe, comfort, calm themselves. They are able to relax themselves in some way. They're not you know, totally dependent on other people for that. 
That is a really important thing. If I'm always, you know, in the position where I'm having to look for somebody else to comfort me or soothe me or my wife in particular, she's going to get a little tired of that because in that she's taking the mother role. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, as spouses, you know, we, we're never to you know, soothe and comfort one another. What I'm saying is, if I'm always dependent upon that and I'm not capable of doing that, any of that for myself, then I have, a, you know, then it's going to create, you know, some, uh, some problems in the, relation, in the relational part of uh, the marriage. Man, that didn't hardly come out. <laughs> <laughs> so what else? And being an adult is means be, you know, having the ability or the willingness to, uh, to be hurt. We're going to get hurt. And most adults know that. We know that you know, life is, you know, sometimes there's suffering in life. Sometimes we get rejected. Sometimes we're not liked. Sometimes you know, it doesn't feel good. As adults, we accept that and you know, embrace that and go on. They know that you know, some, you know, to, to live is to sometimes suffer. And so there is a, and, and there's a difference between being hurt and being wounded. You may still have to tell me when to stop. Okay. <laughs> okay. About three more minutes. Okay. okay. <laughs> I just realized I, you know, having barely started. So <laughs> uh, let me just finish this up. Um, being hurt and being wounded are two different things. The way I, you know, kind of think about it is. As children, we really do get wounded. We get, you know, there, there's injuries that really take place because as a kid, you don't have the defenses. You are powerless. You can't just walk away. You can't make certain decisions. Say, you know, I'm not going to tolerate this. I think I'll go back to the other family I had before because they're a lot more loving. You don't have those choices. And, and you don't have the defenses that, you know, we need to deal with life as well. And so a lot of times... As kids, we really did get wounded. But as adults, we have different choices. We get hurt. And the problem is, is often we confuse hurt with woundedness. Mm -hmm. Now, if I took a knife and I cut somebody, you know, we'll start here. If I grabbed your arm and squeezed it really, really tight, and I really put, put a big one on it, I'd say, does that hurt? Well, you'd probably say no, but, you know, find somebody a little more frail. <laughs> and say, yeah, that really hurt. You know, five minutes from now, you know, and then, as I'm holding their arm, they say, yeah, you better let go. I'll knock your head off. But five minutes from now, I can say, did that hurt? Yeah, that hurt. But does it hurt now? Well, no, that was five minutes ago. If I take a knife and I cut you, now you're wounded. And that really needs to be tended to. Most of the stuff as adults that we deal with really is a matter of just being hurt. I'm not saying that as adults we never, you know, there's no way we never get wounded. But most of the time what we're really struggling with is hurt. And not really, you know, and adults know that that's going to occur and a willingness to accept that hurt. Mm. I think that it's a godly position to be in. To accept the possibility of being hurt from others is kind of a godly place. Because I believe, and I, I don't know the scriptural you know, validation for this, but I believe that God, Jesus, they put, put in themselves in the position to be hurt 24-7. Every time I turn my back on Jesus, every time, you know, I rebel, every time, I believe that causes hurt. And I believe that God has continually put himself in the position to accept that and tolerate that out of his love 
for me. And so, you know, I believe my willingness or anyone's willingness to tolerate being hurt and then still being there is a very godly position, a very godly stance. Am I Thank you. Done? That sounds great. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is excellent. I've been following it very closely, nodding a lot of the time here, um, because I think that last statement that leads us into this, um, God, God did this on purpose in that agape love, love that does not hold back, Agape love is he, he intentionally made himself vulnerable because he risked that we would not love him back, and yet he'll love us regardless. And so it, it, it's true. When we're in pain, his pain is greater because his love is so deep that he somehow takes it in and feels that in a very, very deep way. He demonstrated that through Christ. That's why we can say that with definition. So I think that's very true, and I, th- I really do believe as we move into this, the first question talks about um, how, do you, how do you define, you know, balance. I-, I think imbalance would be that I'm defended or, in essence, I'm not vulnerable to my mate. I'm not making myself vulnerable. And in the two become one class, we use the illustration of the Garden of Eden. When God was with Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve were vulnerable actually naked before each other and before God. And in their vulnerableness, there was an openness and a loving, sharing relationship. And of course, when they disobeyed God, they then became defended and they covered themselves and symbolically made themselves less vulnerable to each other and God. So I I totally agree with what you were suggesting, the premise of your presentation. If we can, real quickly, let's go into some of these questions. I have two, and if you have a question, if you wouldn't mind uh, just raising that up in the area, your three-by-five card, and we'll pull that up front. The first question really ties into this. How do you, the panel, define balance? And I think we, in a way, you did define that initially. The second part of the question of this first question is, what are the signs of being out of balance? That might help us to see what being in balance is, because you were talking more of how to be imbalanced than perhaps out of balance. Although you were talking about inner childhood work and pain from the past that can be triggered that causes us to become defensive. So the second part, what are the signs? What are the signs of being out of balance? As therapists, and you see this all the time with couples that are coming in, what are some signs of a relationship being out of balance? What do you typically see? Well, first of all, I think to be in balance in a marriage, you have to have your priorities straight, and especially if you have the fa- a family. And when I get couples in my office and they're out of balance, they're either spending uh, too much time running around doing lots of busyness, um, spending more time with their children than they are with each other, not having couple time, all of that type of thing gets us out of balance. We're in a really busy world, and even as Christians, sometimes we can get overly busy doing everything from church work to everything else. And, and I think we need to look at our priorities first to stay in balance. There's a, there's a priority triangle that I like to use. If you, think, if you take a triangle, and at the very top is God. That needs to be our top priority. 
then the next part on the triangle is husband and wife. That's what comes next after God. Then after that, down on the triangle, comes your children. And then after that, your job, your friends, your social life, everything else that we do. Uh, many times when people are out of balance, their, their priority triangle, instead of being like this, is like, is like this. They've got uh, maybe God's on the bottom and their relationship with their husband or their wife is underneath their children and they're, they're being, spending more time being a parent or being a, a supervisor or whatever they are in their job or socializing and uh, they're very much out of balance. And it doesn't do your children any good if you spend more time with them than, and not enough quality time with your spouse because then people break up and the children only have one of you or the other. So being in balance to me means, first of all, starting out and having your priorities straight. Uh, and, and then that means with your coupleness, you have to have enough time for each other, time for your children, time for your job, which means you know, just couple time with yourself also. And a lot of times we don't have any time left over in the day for that. So you have to carve it out. How do you do this with, this is seemingly a very, very difficult issue. And that is couples want to spend time together. Somehow they are motivated to do the other things other than with one another. Children, trying to pay the bills, particularly in these financial times. And cognitively, in our head, in our mind, we say, and maybe even voice it, that we need to spend time, and yet it sometimes seems impossible, that it's not reachable. What do you suggest to people when they, they say that well, we would like to take time and we want to spend time, but somehow we, we don't? I, I have it seems like a lot where someone will come in and, and they'll say, well, how, how did this week go? And I don't know, we haven't talked to each other since we were here a week ago. And I mean, I'm not making fun. That is a very common statement, very good intentioned, and yet it's not possible. How do you help people with this? I think you have to, just as Donna was talking, the priorities in your life is we schedule time for so many things. If, if you go to the gym, you make time to do that. You get up early or you go after work and you keep your bag in the car. I think you have to schedule time just the same to be with your spouse. And either, you know, I mean, I had one couple that, um, you know, they, again, it seemed like, well, we don't have a babysitter. And then it's like, but it's like you make time for everything else. You want to go have fun. The girls, you know, with the wife wanted to go have fun with her girlfriends. She made time for that. But it's, again, you have to make time and you really have to put it on your calendar and schedule it maybe, again, once a month, once a week, whatever you're going to be doing. Um, but I think you have to make it, make it a priority just as she said. And you have to schedule it and make it just like, okay, Sunday morning, morning you go to church. Saturday night you go to church. You plan that. Then plan, again, an extra hour to be with your wife or your husband, but you've got to plan that. And what does that do for children? Say someone has children home and they see, oh, I'm sorry, mom and dad are needing some talk you know time what? or be that together. That communicates so clearly to your kids that they, that they are important, but that you're more important. And they get so much security from knowing you guys get together and you're together. Um, 
we've been married, let's see, da, 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 28 years. In our first 10 years, we tried to plan and we saved money and we would try to get away once a year to go away somewhere. And we would just, you know, find a place. I worked at the Sheraton for a time and we got some deals on hotels, but we would try to make that happen. And what that gave our kids was the sense that you're important, but I need to go be with your dad and he's important. So that that always was a priority and, and we didn't always get to do it every year, but it was still communicating to our kids that the security that they had was from us being together. And now that they're grown, is they still can have that security knowing that their mom and dad are still together and we still go do things together. And that's just um, really, really important. Can I just piggyback on what Donna was said Absolutely. earlier about balance? Because I, here's what I see from couples that tell me they're out of balance. They want things to be fair or equal. They want equal time with their friends. They want, they want everything to be fair. Well, he got to do that, and how come I can't go spend all that money? And you know what? It's never going to always be fair or equal. And I think to help people understand that and to give that up sometimes is really hard, but that's fair and equal are not about the same or not balanced. Is that what I'm trying yeah. to say? Yeah, okay. excellent. Well, okay. Excellent. Don, your question about how, how do we do that in this hectic world with kids and everybody, um, I have a plaque in my office that my mother gave me when I was a, a kid. And I don't know why I've kept it all these years, but I have, and I keep it in my counseling office. And it says this. It says, he who wants to finds a way. Mm -hmm. He who doesn't finds an excuse. Mm. And that applies to so many things in, in life, um, like prioritizing our mates to plan a week away or take a date night. You just You have to fight for it. And, and if you want it bad enough, you make the sacrifices, the adjustment and changes to make it happen. Mm -hmm. But it's, it won't happen without intentionality and, and an amount of discipline. Good. Thank you. This, this next question relates to this. Um, how can I include my wife in the decision-making process? This is really where decision-making can happen when there's a space of intimacy, a space of intentional intimacy that's created for that couple where you can make important decisions that need deep, intimate decision-making as part of it. It says, I tend to make decisions without her input. How can I avoid this pitfall? So the question is, how can I include my wife in the decision-making process? I tend to make decisions without her input. How can I avoid this pitfall? I would say it kind of depends on what... <clears throat> What the pitfall is, I mean, why is it that you can't um, talk to your wife about things at first? Is it because you're the leader in the family and she's passive and she doesn't, or, or is it because your communication is so poor that you don't, both of you have imp input in things or you get in an argument every time you, every time you do something like that? So I think that's a communication issue and if you just have to start deciding that everything that we do that involves us and the family and all that, we have to sit down and talk about it. And again, you may have to schedule time, but if it ends up being in a big argument, then you really need to look at your communication style and um, why am I not, is she not user-friendly with me when I approach her? Mm. Excellent. Anyone else? I don't think we generally perceive the world the way it is. We, we generally perceive the world the way we are. Mm. And so the question is, is why am I predisposed to seeing my wife the way that I do? 
And that's a big question. And you know, getting to the answer, you know, you know, it, I, I'm a, a martial artist, and I remember my sensei always would say, if you change the way you see something, what you see will clearly change. And so it's like, how, you know, what is it that you are actually seeing in your wife that is predisposing you to not want to include her into the decision making? And so that's a big question. But it's, you know, usually it comes from ourselves, you know, in the way we are perceiving things. That was the term you used. You used predominant perceptions, if I'm understanding you correctly. You said predominant percep a predominant perception usually creates a problem between a couple. Is that correct? That's similar to what you well, were saying. Well, it's generally the conflict that people are having is who gets to have the predominant ah, perception here. And it's not so much about, you know, not being right. It's about, I can't tolerate being wrong. Okay. And isn't that where a lot of couples run into problems? You talked about that that is the piece that you're getting perhaps triggered from the past. You don't have enough self-efficacy or self-esteem or a sense that you can be wrong um, and maybe not perceive it correctly, as I think you were saying. Exactly. <laughs> Whether, because it could be a trigger that makes me feel like I'm not good enough or I'm not sufficient enough. Mm -hmm. um, it will, it, or in whatever projection that's going on in that dynamic. What's a projection? Help us to know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> Taking some attribute of ourselves and attributing it to someone else or seeing it in that other person. You know, I struggle with maybe the fear that I am lazy. So I see in another person and, you know, make this claim that they're being lazy. Don't we do that a lot, though? We can Don't. also do that with figures from our past. Mm. Had a very dominant mother, a controlling mother, something of that nature. And so, you know, when wife comes at you, what happens is it's like this image takes place on an emotional level. Mother trying to control me, trying to have dominancy over me. It's going to say no to me. And there's a reaction to that, of course, and saying, you know, wanting to avoid, wanting to avoid that conflict, that pain that might be connected to that. And so often, you know, we're not even talking to the person that's in front of us. Okay, that's that predominant perception. So my predominant perception is you're wrong. Because perhaps you had a mother that was coming at you is what you were illustrating. Or I don't even want to hear you. Or I don't want to hear you. Because you're going to dominate that's, the decision. Yeah, that's kind of the fight, flight, freeze position we go into with our Olympic system and adrenaline and all of that to somehow protect ourselves. Right. That's okay. that being guarded and defended, you know, that comes out of that shame that might be in, you know, involved in that. And the one thing that we all want to kind of, you know, hide from and deny and not feel is that level of shame. You know, the same shame that Adam and Eve felt. You know, they all of a sudden realized how inadequate they really were. So and, if, can we use this illustration? So if you have a, where you were using the illustration, a strong mother coming at me as a boy, and then I, I felt shame in the sense that I was devalued. I'm not value enough to express my feeling. Then my wife, not my own, but my wife would come at me then I feel the shame, and then I'm going to have my predominant feeling or perception take over, and I'm going to control, or I'm going to leave. And okay. that's why marriage is a decision and cannot be based on feelings. Okay. Because you're suggesting, if I'm hearing correctly, that probably all of us have some form of shame from the past. Now, I'm not 
talking about shame where you've committed a sin, this type of shame. It's shame that something has been, as you were saying, projected upon you. Or so you, you feel someone else's feelings that tell you you're not good enough or you're not going to perform well enough to, to, to be a good person in some way. That's what you're referring to. And that can be triggered in marriage. Shame can be just having been emasculated by a mother figure. And so you're in the presence, and you know, my wife's strong. <laughs> She's a strong woman. And so, you know, it's like having to you know, struggle through that and realize that she is not my mother. That is not her intention. You know, and seeing whatever projection that I've had there and dealing with that, that this is not the same person. And that's where the courage and the struggle comes in and the risk to say, you know what, I'm going to trust that that is not the same person. She is not my mother. Okay, now how do we do this? What you're saying, I'm already triggered. I'm already responding. I'm either, you know, having my predominant perception take over or leave. I'm already triggered. This is where a lot of couples are. So help us. What happens? How do you help someone to say, you don't have to go there? Because once you're triggered, you're already there. You're talking about before. Well, a lot of that has to do with the depth of intimacy that you are really already achieving and the level of trust that you know, can take place. I gave an example, I think the last time I was here, my wife and I were, at the, <clears throat> were planning on going to the beach and she said, tomorrow what I want to do is I want to go to the beach and then I can come home, take showers and we'll go to the movie. I said, well, I want to eat down at Jeff's Hamburgers. And she said, we don't have the money for that. Man, I reacted all over the place. It's like, how much money do I have to make before we can just go eat when we want? <laughs> you know, she's not a weak woman. <laughs> she looked at me and she says, I'm just telling you what we have and what we don't. And I, you know, I said, well, if you're done lecturing me, I'm going to go ahead and finish the barbecue. <laughs> she went in the house, came back out and said, I need to know at what point I have been unreasonable in this. Mm-hmm. And man, I was really reaching, you know. <laughs> Got to be some, you know. Ultimately, it's like, nah, you're not being unreasonable. You really, it's not about you. And so that triggered that whole process of where did this come from? What, you know, what was it that I was projecting here? She's never, you know, she's not hoarding money. She's not, you know, being dishonest with me. I, I, you know, that's not even a possibility. Came from my childhood. Every time I looked at my parents for money, I knew what the answer was. We don't have any, you don't get any, and that's that. And I knew that that wasn't true. And so, you know, I, I was carrying so that, that, that hurt and that shame, that shame. with me. <laughs> okay, let's ask the others. That's, a, that's really a vivid, I think that really helped me to understand a little more here in us. Can you help us what you do with your clients in this type of situation? We have people doing this all the time, I know, as therapists. What are some other skills that you would help us to implement to overcome this type of trapping? Um, I think so often what you're describing is when we grow up, we have, again, that childhood response that we survive whatever we have to live with. So there's survival skills that you learn so often we carry those into our marriage and we survive in our marriage. And yet it's kind of like being on the Titanic. Maybe that's not a very good example, but um, you, you know, the people that survived, you know, every time if they ever got back on a ship, don't have to have the same skills to be on the next ride on a, on a ship. But yet we do that in our lives sometimes, whatever uh, environments we grew up in, we survived and yet we think we have to survive in our marriage the same way. And you have to recreate a new 
with some new skills that can be learned that you are no longer in that family in that place where you have to behave in the same way. You can change and you're now an adult and you can come up with some new skills that you have to learn to maybe stop and catch yourself and have a spouse who can question you and remind you that you are not the child that you once were in that relationship. So you have to learn, again, not using your old survival skills, but developing new skills that you can relate, again, in a healthier, more productive way. So recognizing, Pam, recognizing old skills that are disuseful now, Mm -hmm. and then changing those, altering. Can you give us Mm -hmm. some skills, changed skills, that would help our people? Well, I think part of it is is knowing your spouse and, and their past, perhaps, but also learning to use different kind of of words and phrases when you talk to people rather than just reacting you need to learn how to respond mm. and a response might be gee that com- with that comment i feel I-, I feel belittled i feel belittled right now instead of why are you saying that to me or why are you doing that so you you try to use i messages instead of the you messages you messages a you says it's your fault. An I message says, I have a problem. Will you help me with it? You says you are the problem. So if you're feeling that way or different responses come up from childhood or whatever, it's better to, to say, I'm feeling this way right now. That way, that's a skill you can learn where you're taking responsibility for it. and Or I don't even know why I'm feeling angry right now, but I am. And then you can sit down and talk about it and say, you know, I'm not, I don't think it's you, and, and talk about it with your spouse. Or, or another way would be, if you cannot do that right at the moment, to say, I'm really angry right now. I need to take a time out. So give me 20 minutes, and then I'm going to come back in, and maybe we'll have a conversation about what just happened and why I reacted. And that creates intimacy because the ability to sit and talk with each other in a way that says, I have a problem, will you help me, rather than you are the problem, um, that creates a lot, a lot better intimacy, and that, that's going to create more balance in your life. So those are a couple skills that, that we need to practice as a couple. Wonderful. Do you see couples that want the same time out? You know, they're both upset, and one says, oh, I just need about 20 minutes, and the other said, you know, I never thought about it, but 20 minutes would be perfect for me. Let's just break for 20 minutes, and then we'll come back. That's ridiculous, isn't it? We don't know many couples. I've never seen that happen ever. Okay, why is that? Why do you not see that? Why, why don't, why, it's just, I'm trying to ask the question actually indirectly that we probably need to learn to accept the fact that we will need a different time span than our mate will when we're trying to resolve a problem. But it's important to come back and always work to try and resolve it. Right. I, I always tell people uh, a timeout for some people, it needs to be longer than others. But I tell them that at the longest, 24 hours is the longest you can take a timeout. And that might be if you're having an argument and you're ready to go to bed and you got to get up early in the morning. It has to be back within 24 hours. Otherwise, a timeout can turn into a cop-out. Mm. I'm just going to take a timeout, and things are a little better tomorrow, so we never get back to, to, resol- to resolving it. And then nobody trusts the timeout. Yeah, well, last time you did a timeout, we never got back to it. So as quickly as possible, uh, hopefully within a half hour or whatever, but, and, and both of you have to agree that we will meet in the kitchen at the table at in a half an hour. Yeah. 
and, uh, and then you don't bug each other with the timeout. Uh, but at the most, 24 hours, and that person needs to come back. Otherwise, you're not going to have trust in your partner, and you're going to be out of balance again. Thank you, Donna. I think the key is back to courage. It takes courage to make yourself vulnerable to say, hey, I thought we were going to talk about this, and I'm willing to if you are. Think about it. That takes a lot of courage to do that. It actually does what you just said, Donna. Gary, you were talking about courage. Donna, you said that would build trust. Because trust means that I take seriously what you're saying or what you're experiencing. And even if it makes myself vulnerable, it makes me vulnerable rather, that I'm going to attempt to take the initiative to try to work through it. Let me move, if I can, to another. Gary, you want to add something? Excuse me. I've never taken a time out with my wife. Because I think part of being an adult is knowing that we can definitely disagree but just because we disagree does not mean that we have to disconnect. Just change the subject and move on. Okay, so you're, you're suggesting another possibility, which is even better, and that is to stay connected and work through it. Yeah, because it'll come up again, we disagree on this, but I'm not willing to disconnect because of that. Okay. I'm just not willing to do that. You know, let's change the subject and move on. Yeah, that's, that's why we had you do the presentation tonight, because you have the perfect marriage. Yeah. But um, it works the best. I wish. So, but no, that is the ideal. Unfortunately, we know that most couples, one escalates to a point where he or she needs distance to survive what's going on. But that's a very, yeah. very insightful piece. You're suggesting to stay present. If you're present, with, I use that term a lot, but if you stay present with your mate, you should be able to work through it. Being present is a part of, you know, that intimacy. Yes. Yeah, I, I was well, hearing it. So Maybe you said that because I think, boy, that take you and your wife are exhibiting a lot of really good self-control and discipline mm -hmm. that I know I don't have. Yeah. I escalate. Don't give and, me too much credit. It's more her than me. Yeah. But they're, they're is she here tonight? Is, Where is she? We need, we, I want to meet this woman. <laughs> <laughs> I used to take long walks in the early days of our marriage because I needed my time out, and I would take long walks. So bless you, bless you. And, and usually in, in, every, in, in, in a marriage, one of the two, one, of their, one is mm -hmm. the pursuer and the other is the withdrawer. Mm -hmm. One of us deals with conflict by withdrawing. The other wants to solve it and pursue, and they chase after until there's a resolution. Mm -hmm. And it happens in every relationship. But sometimes it's the guy, sometimes it's the gal. Yeah. It, you know, there's no real locked in. Uh, it can be either one. Yeah. Thank you. At this point, if you have a question or you'd like to respond to the panel, just raise your hand, and we will bring a microphone to you. I think this is a wonderful discussion. Your input may even further increase uh, the usefulness of it. So if you do have a question or thought, as you're thinking about putting your hand up, rather, I'm going to go ahead and read the next question. And that is, this is really a helpful question, and I think this really fits a lot of couples. If a husband and wife work different shifts, how can you achieve balance in your marriage? If a husband and wife work different shifts, how can you achieve balance in your marriage? A very, very good question. How would you say which shifts? They didn't say. What shift? <laughs> what shift? Yeah. It means they're really away from each other significantly. Yeah. yeah I, I would hope that somewhere in the schedule that there's a day off, 
hopefully mm. there is some day off time at the same time because and, and based on that it would be to again work together to find a time to where it would be even more incumbent to say uh, like the concept that I often teach is that called us have a staff meeting for the couples where you just sit down uninterrupted time together where you can talk about what's going on in the kids lives calendars budget things like that but you you, you just you you gotta work hard to try to find that hopefully there's some time in your week that you can find that time to sit down together uh, and and at least do that kind of thing if nothing else, like a date night or those yeah. kinds of things. Or, is it fair to hard. say, thank you, is it fair to say that a couple is really in trouble who are not seeing each other during the day at some point? Or can you live that way for a certain period of time? I know of couples that say, we're just going to endure this maybe for a year and a half to get these bills paid off, and we're both working a couple jobs, and we don't really see each other. One of us takes care of the children, and then we, we actually hand the baton off. What are your thoughts about that? Is that worth that? Is, I'm asking a number of questions. That's what I was thinking is, you know, you're really in a jeopardized position when you have that going on. Because, you know, we do grow and we do change. And we want to grow and, more, you know, morphosize together, you know, <laughs> so that, you know, I, I've seen a, you know, several military, you know, and, and over in Iraq, and he comes back, you know, and things have moved on, and there's been changes. And so there's this adjustment that has to take place because they haven't been together, and they have changed. You know, one fellow over there for a year. And so, you know, it's like when they come back, it's like, whoa, you know. I have changed in this way. I know that she's changed because she's been in therapy with me. And so, you know, there's a lot of changes taking place. And so there's going to be this adjustment. When you're working that kind of a schedule, you're not seeing each other. And so you may not be aware of the changes, the changes in interest, goals, you know, who you are just as a person. You know, your faith, you know, and begins to grow or, you know, change in different ways. And so, you know, I think you're just in a jeopardized position with that. That's a good point. There was, a, there was another question that relates a little bit to uh, building that intimacy time. And I tried to suggest to a group of people recently that if you build that intimacy into your marriage, that intimacy where you really work to carve out time to really attempt to be vulnerable by God's grace flowing through you towards your mate, that you will yearn that intimacy on a daily basis. In fact, that intimacy yearning will grow which then protects the marriage and creates that beautiful environment just between you and that other person for a lifetime. Notice this, this particular question uh, says and asks, I think it's a statement more than a question, but my husband thinks that couple time in front of the TV is just as intimate as a quiet conversation on a date or walk or something. Now, no, no, no applauding. Now, keep, keep the applause down. My husband thinks that couple time in front, of, I didn't write this, but my husband thinks that couple time in front of the TV is just as intimate as quiet conversation on a date or walk or something. I feel like there is no intimacy in TV watching. I could do that by myself. Okay? Now, I know all the men were saying amen on that. That was, that was a male question. Well, football, oh, no, I guess you know, it's like, okay. you know. All right. Can you help us with this? I think you have to look at what 
where can you be together that mutually your needs are being met together? Or at least some of your needs and some of his needs or some of her needs can be met in a mutual activity where if, you know, for a time you can sit and watch a movie, that sounds fine. But then at some point the other person should say, you know, I really did enjoy that, but I would hope that you would like to do this with me and could we do this next time? You know, I think you have to make it, again, not fair or equal, but can it be mutually where both people can get their needs met at some other point or at the, at, if it's not at the movie time or TV? Okay. Thank you. Anyone else? You were talking about balance earlier. Go ahead. And then we have someone out in the audience. But go ahead. I've never been one to really be able to prioritize and plan, you know, date nights and all that. My wife and I, you know, I find that if I have my time, you know, and we're really close, I can go out and go paintballing, you know, and have a great time doing that. But then what I really look forward to is getting home and telling her all about it. And I know that she does the same kind of thing. She'll go somewhere with a bunch of gals, you know, down the hotel or whatever, the weekend with the women. And I know that when she gets back, she's like, I can't wait to get home to tell them all about it. Having our separate lives in that way brings a richness into the marriage because we have something to talk about. We have something to share with one another. You know, you know the people that I'm hanging out with and what's going on in their lives, and we get to share with one another about that. And you know, I think that that's so important. It's like a ha- you know, I want to tell her. You know, I want to say, you know, you know, look at this man. Look at this one here. You know, where the paintballs hit me. You know, taking my shirt off. Oh, look at that man. You know, talking all about it. And <clears throat> I love the fact that she's you know willing to listen and be a part of that. You know. Dee is an amazing person to listen to that. I'm telling you, that is, she's an amazing wife. That is helpful. I listened to her about the jewelry, though. Okay. (laughs) Very good. I think there was a comment back here. Thank you. I just was, as you were saying that, I was thinking about something I was just told, um, because we've talked about the TV thing early on, um, but I was just told in the last few days that um, this person close to me that's having a long-distance relationship remarked on the fact that, very specifically, that because it was long distance, even though they get to get together, they didn't have time to go to the movies and stuff and just sit there and do, you know, just sit and hang. Mm -hmm. And it was very beneficial to their relationship because they had to talk. And long distance, they didn't have other things to do, so they did a lot lot more communicating. And I just Mm -hmm. want to say that because I think sometimes it's nice to go to the movies, but it's not a place to get to know each other. And um, I think we get kind of the feeling sometimes that that's supposed to be okay. We should feel like that's a, an intimate enough thing, but it just doesn't give you an opportunity to talk. So I thought that was a very good thing that, you know, it really has benefited to be apart and have to talk more. Okay. What Maybe about... We benefit. Thank you. Thank you, Vaughn. What about... Um, I think a lot of women might say an amen to that one, right? A lot of men might say well, that amount of communication is a little over, it's too much for me. I may not need to communicate. Is that a truth? That most men may not need to communicate as much? Or is it more that they would like to communicate at a more intimate level? Intimate meaning like you're sharing about paintball or rock climbing. You do a lot of fun things. All these fun things that you would share. And obviously she's interested in listening, even though she probably goes, I have no interest in rock climbing, certainly not paintball. You know, I, I don't know. Is that, 
but she's learned to tried really hard to get her to come out with us, but she wouldn't do it. Okay, she's her own person, isn't she? Okay. But that, that statement kind of asks the question by virtue of how you were stating it, is it true for men that they want to have that communication intimacy as well? Or is that a myth? What do you, what do you I think? Don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think you know our society gives us norms for how, what we expect for people. And again, I think it's how what you saw growing up, of course, in your family from your you know male figures. But I think everybody, I mean, men and women, have a deep desire to communicate. But I think again, it has to be created in a way of where do you feel safe and where do you feel that that person is going to be worthy of the trust that you're giving to them. So again, we as wives can do great. Uh, service by listening with a safety net around that and to really embrace and honor what your spouse is telling you with trust and respect and and not sharing that with you know the world I mean that's just between you and you and them okay. yes we need the microphone if you're going to respond thank you I just wanted to clarify clarify that that was a male that said that and interesting was and it that, okay yeah, oh yeah it was my son interesting but I, but I think that um i think the key is that i've heard that before too that in long distance relationships that it's it's like for him it's it's a it's a a gift because it's not something that comes as easy to sit down and take that time but it built and it's established a greater relationship that way interesting thank you that's very helpful here was a question that uh it said gary kind of talked about crosstalk in a relationship and how it can affect a marriage. I think you were talking from a trans actual analysis where you were talking a parent, a child, where it's one up, one down relationship that's unhealthy, by the way, should be adult to adult, where it's, it's more direct communication, it's more equal, there's reciprocity. But it said this, Gary kind of talked about crosstalk in a relationship and how it can affect a marriage. With that in mind, what is a reasonable or healthy age difference in a marriage? Five years, 10 years, 15 years, etc. How do you respond to that question? Well, we're, you know, it, it just the reality is, is that we are all on our developmental paths and we are all growing at different, you know, stages. You know, an 18 year old is just simply not an adult. It's just that simple. 25 year old isn't really an adult. And so, you know, you get too much of a discrepancy there, you know, that's going to create some kind of a problem at some point. Because our challenges are different. I'm, you know, 50, you know, uh, 56 years old. My challenges are very different. I'm looking at, you know, retirement, slowing down a little bit, you know, you know, what I can pass back to the upcoming generation, you know, all those developmental issues that are a part of my life now. Someone that, you know, is, you know, say 25, they're looking at, you know, I want to start a family, I want to get started, you know, you know, and so there's a lot of differences that are, you know, taking, they, I want an education, you know, so there's a lot of differences in, you know, where you are developmentally, and that's the thing to really look at. Could it be then, rather than raising the question, uh, 5, 10, 15 years difference, could it be how my emotional development compares to my behavioral development? So I, I could be 50, but at the yet, yet be at a 25 developmentally. So maybe the question might be more helpful to ask where you are emotionally and, you know, I mean, excuse me, uh, uh, yeah, emotionally and behaviorally versus age, looking those two. I think also if there's a, if there's a big gap between the age, you need to really ask yourself, 
why do I want to marry this person? If you're the younger one, do you need a parent figure? Hmm. Do you need somebody to protect and take care of you and that feels good to you? Uh, if you're the older person, do you need to be a parent to somebody? Do you need to be the leader and, and all that? So you need to examine your motives if, if it's like, say, 15 years difference or even 10 sometimes as to what you're getting married for. Uh, and, and it's harder to have a balance if you're really, really far apart. You're, you're more apt to get into that parent-child type relationship and maybe you're marrying your father because you loved your father and, and he gave you security. But then mm -hmm. father is maybe marrying you for different reasons and um, it, you know, a lot of times it, it, it's very difficult. Well, Donna, let's suppose then a couple did marry and perhaps for those reasons which do not sound healthy, can a couple work through that once they realize we are now married and we our age difference was a catalyst to uh, helping us solve some problems from the past where I didn't feel like I was mothered or fathered enough or I need to be in that father or mother role. Can a, can a couple be helped in that area? I, I saw a couple like that just recently. There was a 25-year age difference, mm -hmm. and I shared the things that Donna and both that Gary just did and my concerns about doing their premarital. And I referred them out, by the way. Uh, Chicken. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, the, it, the, but the, the issue was that, uh, and, and after, because I, I, was, I, I was so nasty, I said, look, here's my concern. You know, the, she has a 21-year-old, a, a daughter who's going to live with them. Um, the gentleman had lost a wife within uh, a year. It only been eight months that his wife had passed away. Um, she'd never been married before. Uh, there were all these, I, I just pointed them out, and I was so negative. After I was all done, I said, you know, guys, I've been awfully negative, and I don't mean to be, so I just want to be honest with you and let you know what the dangers are ahead of you mm. because of these things. Not just the age difference, but that was a major one. And then after I was all said and done, you know, I said, look, really, if both of you love the Lord and you're willing to keep Jesus Christ the center of your marriage and your lives, there isn't anything you can't overcome. I mean, you could be happily ever after. I don't mean to just kind of throw you out the window and say, forget it, it'll never work. Mm -hmm. But there are going to be challenges. There are going to be challenges. And that I felt like I owed it to them to be honest and let them know. Yeah, I think if I could just add to this, I, I think this question leads into a, a very important concept. I, I think it's from the devil, the myth that, well, maybe I married the wrong person. I think the society tends to uh, cue us into that idea. And I think in God's economy, that's from Satan, not from God. Mm -hmm. Once you say I do, you married the right person. Yes, you did. Once you stood before God and before whatever, whether it's justice of a peace, whether it's a minister, you say, I do, that is the right person for you. Now stick it out, make it work, do whatever it takes to make that marriage. It, it's, it's sort of an example of that. I never thought about it to now, but it's having two children. It's not mine because we have two, but having two children and one of them drives you crazy and you cannot, you can't work through it. And you're so frustrated, but you, you turn and say, I'm giving up. No, you really, I, turn, I would turn to God and say, help me, because I, I love this child and I want to help them. You wouldn't give up. There's, there's that commitment. It's, it's actually the same commitment. It may feel different with a child compared to a mate, but it's a, a similar commitment to that other human being. Can we go to... Uh, I was thinking, uh, I, I took a run over it. Um, 
like Miramar, when I, I, when I maybe I was. Let's about, see, you run, paintball, <laughs> hike. Yeah, I was out <laughs> running, and this twenty-five-year-old uh, <clears throat> or so gal, she pulled out in front of me <laughs> on this run, and uh, you know I'm fifty years old, but I was thinking to myself. There is no way I'm going to let her beat me around this thing. <laughs> and I ran, so I, I about killed myself. So I think, you know, you know, that kind of marriage could be hazardous to your health. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't die on that process? Okay. Not that time. <laughs> okay. That is great. Um, here, listen to this one. We have just a few minutes left, and I, we have just two more questions real quickly. A lot of times I feel that I'm a work, quote, a work in progress, unquote. But my spouse wishes that the progress would occur much more quickly than it currently is. What can I do since I believe this growth process is something that naturally happens as one experiences life? Grace, grace, grace. <laughs> I think to give yourself grace and that your spouse can give you grace. Because really, when Gary was defining what marriage is, it is a, it's a God's growth plan for you. And, you know, in being married to your spouse, it's sometimes we focus so much on we want them to change, we want them to do be different. But really, you God brings it back to you to say, okay, I want this character quality to change in you, and so I'm going to put this situation in your marriage, and you're going to have to trust me and to be obedient. And really, I think that's the bottom line, is grace to you and grace to your spouse. And hopefully, your spouse can give you that grace, too, to say, well, I wish you were farther along. Well, I'm sure they have areas that you wish they were farther along, too, right? Yes. So let's have grace. Nicely said. Lots of grace. Anyone else? Yeah, there used to be a popular button. I think it was the Gothard people that used to have a bunch of letters on it. And the letter stood for, please be patient with me. God mm -hmm. isn't finished with me yet. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's maybe, please be patient with me. And, and I know patience is hard. And we got to be careful if we pray for that because what God will bring us yes. are more trials. So. Yes. Well, the key is if you're not praying for your mate, you're not going to be offering a lot of grace. You may be naturally offering some patience and understanding. However, if you're praying for your mate, you're going to be offering grace because it will come very naturally through God's grace as he works through us. Well, thank you. Any other questions from uh, the audience? I know we need to wind down for tonight. Anyone else as we begin to wind down? Um, I would like to, to mention something that's uh, upcoming. This last question that I had here, we really did respond to it. So it was a question that was asked, but we respond to it. We responded to it earlier. The next thing, just quickly before we leave, I want to mention the upcoming class that's called the To Become One class. And I believe we have that even on the, the PowerPoint is we have a one-year intensive that will begin here January 3rd. We now have close to 45, I think it's 46 couples that meet weekly. And we have an intensive one-year-long process. And I handed out those brochures. Um, uh, sorry about the picture there. It kind of got large, and I didn't mean for that to happen. Um, somebody looked at it and said, oh, it's one of those movie pictures. It's just an old picture. That's why it looks that way. There they are. Dick's holding that up. Thank you in the back there showing that. Thank you. Is that with the one-year intensive, we've seen some remarkable changes in some lives. We only plan to do this. My wife, Robin, and I, who's here this evening, and glad you're here, is that we've been working... We started a group for one year. They wanted to go a second year. Now they're wanting to go a third year. And then our second class is wanting to go a second year. So it seems like they're progressing. But we're going to start a new class, 9.30 on 
Sunday mornings. If you have a friend or someone, this is a great way to reach out to our community evangelistically, really, to reach out to our community. If you have a friend that would like to commit, you have to commit. You can only miss four classes. Uh, you have to commit to uh, being at a number of variety of things, doing homework. Uh, it's very reasonable. I think the initial cost is $60, and then we have two weekends that you have to participate in that you'll have to pay for. But otherwise, you're just paying for the curriculum. And we hope that there will be those who would like to sign up. All you need to do is call Sandy Lins here at the church. And she will send you the requirements that you actually sign. And our own lead pastor, Dr. Jim Garlow, signs. And each of you sign uh, this contract for a year. And we would love to have you as a part of this. And that's coming up, so you can see that on the, the PowerPoint as well as the handout that was here. I'm really thrilled also to mention one last thing, and that is on January 3rd, I believe, and that is our next month. Uh, next month, we have our next My Therapist uh, Says. And actually, if you see that, it's really talking about uh, downsizing. We, we're going to have two business management consultant persons with us, as well as three therapists, and we're going to be working on some really tough issues. These issues relate to the economic times within which we are experiencing today. You have a friend or someone that is struggling in this area or would like some keen insight. We already have uh, these two business uh, persons scheduled as long as, along with our own uh, therapist that will be with us. Dr. Marcel Fallon will be giving us the 15-minute presentation since he and I see this on a daily basis as pastors and therapists. And so he'll be giving the 15-minute presentation. So thank you for coming tonight. And I'd like to have a word of prayer, and then we will be dismissed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence this evening. Thank you for the illustration of God coming down in the form of a baby, a human being who lived on this earth and as an adult intentionally went to the cross without sin, to take on the sin of the world and to die and to be raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God himself. That story illustrates ultimate intimacy. What great love was this that you would lay down your life for us? It's remarkable. Could that be the image with which we treat with great respect our mates? Could it be that we would have the courage, as Gary shared tonight and others, the courage to place ourselves in a vulnerable place? That means to be courageously open to our mate, that they could go to a deepened place in our lives to really, truly know us, to gnosko, to know us at the deepest levels. That's exactly what you did for us. You went to the cross to reconcile relationship so that we could go to the deepest levels of intimacy with a mate. You said it's not good for a man or a woman to be alone. And that's why we marry for life. Thank you for these good people. For those that may be listening uh, to this audio tape, may your presence be imminent in each and every one of our lives. We thank you. We bless you at this Christmas season. And thank you for the privilege of being intimate and knowing that you chose first of all and foremost to be intimate with us. We praise you this night, and in the name of Jesus we pray this. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.